0: What is up everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Ansel Lindner. Happy Monday. I hope you guys are having a good day, a good start to your week. Hope you had a productive weekend, a relaxing weekend, however you chose to spend your weekend. Um, For me, it was a little bit more productive. I'm still working on my office. Uh, Behind me, as you can see, this this wall is getting close to being done and I'm starting on the next wall. It's going to be like a raised panel wall. So we'll see how long that, that should be a lot faster than doing bookshelves. That's the hard stuff, but okay. Uh, So welcome to the show. Today is Monday. So I do the fundamentals report, Bitcoin fundamentals report every Monday. Uh, So we're going to go through that here today. Thank you guys for joining me. I do these live streams all the time, (laughs) pretty much Uh, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. Mondays are usually about the Fundamentals Report. It sums up all the stuff that is going on in the last week up to, you know, from Monday to Monday. So you can start off your week fresh with knowing what happened over the weekend. What, uh, you know, what's the culmination of all the last week's news going into this week if you're going to pay attention to the news cycle in Bitcoin um, for this coming week. But yeah, I'm on issue 247. Bitcoinandmarkets.com. You can sign up to get these free newsletters every week um, and notifications when I drop uh, different podcasts and stuff. Uh, not You won't get notifications by signing up on the website for these live streams. I'm live streaming on YouTube, Rumble, Telegram, Twitter, and Twitch. Uh, so just find me on your preferred platform. Make sure you comment, like, subscribe, share around, uh, help my content grow. I've been around in the Bitcoin space for a very long time, never sold a scam, have been, had very oh, nearly miraculous write calls. Uh, one of my most famous that I like to mention is that um, during the scaling conflict, the day that the user activated software dropped on uh, GitHub, I said, this is how SegWit is going to get, you know, adopted. And that's exactly what happened. And I made that call publicly on the podcast. Um, recently, I've been extremely accurate in my macro macro calls uh, about China, about Europe, about uh, transitory inflation, about the Bitcoin price. Um, I did miss the second dump with the FTX drama last year, but uh, that was I I consider that kind of a black swan. It was not um, that predictable. I guess you could predict that there was something else coming, but I didn't think that it was coming and it surprised me. But so that's like my one bad call in the last couple of years. I've been extremely accurate on uh, China, for instance, which we'll talk about a little bit today, Europe and other things, including Bitcoin. So um, I have my degree in economics. I have uh, uh, half of a career pretty much a former life in the military dealing with intelligence and mission planning and execution and stuff and so uh, I that world like th- this w- over the weekend with the Russian stuff going on uh, I don't have you know cutting edge knowledge of what exactly is going on but I kind of understand how uh, military people think uh, and how kind of battles go and your mind state, and different types of techniques in warfare. So um, I have at least a good background in that. So anyway, so I use that background to evaluate things, but I also evaluate the Russian situation from a geopolitical perspective with my uh, degree in economics and my longtime uh, history now in Bitcoin. I just tie all that together, and I think I have a very unique perspective in Bitcoin Really, one of the most unique perspectives. Most Bitcoin content creators out there, I mean, I like them. Most of them are nice guys, but a lot of them are cookie cutter. You're going to get the same sort of stuff from guy A as guy B. But when you listen to this show and we listen to my content, I, I'm a contrarian. I like to push the envelope on a lot of different things. And so, yeah, that's one of the most unique content creators out there in bitcoin appreciate everyone who supports over on bitcoin and markets.com. you can become a paid member to support my work okay let's get into the fundamentals report let me zoom in this was a great meme it was shared by adam back this time around but this is a very old meme in bitcoin and i thought it was appropriate for this week so okay up front i have a snapshot in bitcoin Let me just double check my settings, make sure I'm going out everywhere. All right. Looks, everything looks to be good. All right. Snapshot on Bitcoin. Weekly trend is we're trying to extend the new highs. We did set a new high this last week in price by very tiny amount. We're trying to extend that. Um, That's what I would call the weekly trend. This top portion is not scientific, like I say every time. It's just how I'm viewing the space right now. The media sentiment is slightly positive. It's actually turning itself around. We had people like Nassim Taleb go on to CNBC, and uh, he was bashing on Bitcoin. Even the hosts were pushing back on him, on his stupid ideas. It didn't get any play whatsoever. I think that was a, a pretty big sign. Also, a lot of people are talking about this BlackRock ETF that have nothing to do with Bitcoin. I saw another CNBC uh, piece, you know, just like a two-minute clip where they were like, something's going on here. We don't know the full story. Why would BlackRock do this? This is BlackRock. This is a big name. And these are people not into Bitcoin, that they probably would be poo-pooing on Bitcoin any other day of the week. But now BlackRock uh, BlackRock files for this ETF, and everybody's saying something's going on here. and what do you do when you have a little bit of uncertainty? Maybe the Bitcoin price is going to pop. You might diversify into Bitcoin a little bit and add some demand. So anyway, network traffic is high. We'll cover some charts about that. Mining industry, however, is still strong. Um, there was some news out of the mining industry, once again, proving Bitcoin's value uh, to, the, um, to the grid. So, you can pull your hash rate down when the grid has stress. And we'll cover that story coming up here in a second. Price section 30,039 when I wrote this. Let's check out the price right here. And we have 30,078 right now coming down three days of kind of consolidation here. On Friday, I put out the Market Pro newsletter, which is my professional tier for price uh, on the website. And I said, most likely nothing's going to happen over the weekend, yada, yada, yada. And I went on to talk about what's, I think, hap- going to happen this week. So if you guys want more price analysis, you got to go to the website and sign up. Okay, let's get back to the report. Market cap, $683 billion. Sorry, five hundred eighty-three billion, uh, still over that one trillion dollar mark, and it's going to be going higher. Satoshi's thirty-three twenty-seven per dollar, and one finny is exactly three dollars. See, that's why I like this finny denomination because when we pass things like a thirty-thousand-dollar round number, that finny is three dollars. When we pass a hundred thousand, it's going to be ten dollars. I think that's a very useful denomination. Um, and when we get to like a million, then this will be a hundred dollars. So anyway, it's a very good denomination. Now onto the mining sector. The previous difficulty adjustment was 2.2% roughly. Next estimated is negative 1.5% tomorrow. Mempool over 200 megabytes, but it was all over the place today. So that could be lower. Um, I think I saw it tick below 200 pretty much as I was hitting publish on this report. Okay, fees for the next block. You know, uh, for newbies that might have found this content, uh, each Bitcoin transaction has a fee, and in high traffic times on the network, uh, you're going to pay a higher fee to get into the next block, and so your transaction will be confirmed very recently they've been as high as $20 per per transaction and a lot of people say oh well how can bitcoin be used as a global money if the fees are so high but that is for the base layer you know like think about a wire transfer that you make from a bank to another bank usually those fees are anywhere between 20 30 maybe even 40 dollars today i don't know i haven't made a wire transfer in a couple years probably so um, they could be as high as like say 40 dollars for a wire transfer so that's kind of the same level that we would talk about bitcoin uh on the base layer fees will be much lower on like say the lightning network which we will cover the latest news in the lightning network coming up here in a minute um that is an abstraction from the base layer, but you're still using Bitcoin. Um, And then there are all sorts of other layer twos. Like they, one that I've been learning more about is a new one called Arc. There's also Liquid, uh, which is a side chain. And I'm, I'm a supporter of Liquid, almost more than Lightning. I think Liquid almost has a brighter future than Lightning uh, for the world, but there's all sorts of ways to uh, abstract away from the Bitcoin base layer Still using Bitcoin, just not paying the fees and all that stuff. The base layer is going to be used for these big transactions where a million dollar transaction, you don't care if you pay a 20, even a $200 fee, really. Okay, median fee, that, that's if you want to wait for like 30 minutes or so, is around 59 cents. Lightning Network. So this is the first week that we both of these stats have gone up together. The capacity continues to go up 54 85 for the capacity. How much does that come out to be in dollars? 30 over a hundred million dollars. Anyway, it's, it's a lot. And that went up by 0.3% this week channels, which had been coming down ever since the high fee period time that I was talking about just a second ago, they ticked up a little bit this week, adding 144 channels, but really that's, nothing in the grand scheme of things this needs to be a lot higher for lightning to become a significant player i'm talking like we need a million channels or more i mean obviously if everybody's on lightning which i don't think everybody will be on lightning because you need on-chain transactions just to open up the channels so not everyone's going to be on lightning but you i could see say a hundred million people on lightning and in that case, you're going to need multiple channels per person. So you're talking, you know, maybe 500 million channels. And we're still talking peanuts here at 69,000. Okay, then I have, in case you missed it, some of the stuff that I did last week, including FedWatch. It was a very good episode with Nolan Bowerly. So check out the Bitcoin Magazine podcast feed if you want to listen to that podcast version, or you can go onto to their um, YouTube channel. And find that, or obviously, just click my link. I have the, the YouTube linked in there. Okay, headlines for Bitcoin Binance and Coinbase have completely left the Bitcoin news cycle. I really haven't heard too much at all this last week about Binance and Coinbase. Binance is kind of playing it low key. I did see some stuff about them adding Lightning Network, and of course, when you talk about Binance nowadays, you have to mention what's going on with them. Uh, Coinbase. The stuff I've heard about Coinbase has really been positive, actually. I saw their stock was starting to bottom and had some bullish divergence on their stock. So I think that the bottom for their share price might be in for Coinbase, not investment advice. But uh, they also are mentioned as the custodian for BlackRock's ETF. So that is a kind of vote of confidence for Coinbase. But of course it's a Bitcoin only ETF and Coinbase wouldn't have been in any of this trouble if they would have just stayed Bitcoin only the whole time. The way forward for these businesses is to be Bitcoin only. So anyway, even though Binance and Coinbase are kind of out of the news cycle, the SEC definitely is not, okay? So the theme of, I would say the last what? The theme of the last three months at least, probably going back the whole year maybe because of the choke point 2.0 that was the theory going around. Ever since choke point 2.0, SEC has been at the center of the news cycle for Bitcoin and now is no different because they have to approve the BlackRock ETF. So speculation about that ETF and its approval continues to dominate the Bitcoin news cycle this last week. Um, And then I go into, if, you know, will BlackRock get approved? And so I go into some stuff here about the rationale for the filing. I think, this is my conclusion so far, is that, yes, they've been working on it for a long time, but also that it's about grayscale. And I think the BlackRock's legal team, because obviously they have a fantastic legal team that knows the insides, the, the in and outs better than probably any other company in the world for this financial regulation and stuff. And I think their legal team took a look at the grayscale court case against the SEC and thinks they probably will win. And so they wanted to get in ahead of Grayscale. So this is also a vote of confidence for Grayscale. And, of course, the BlackRock filing, that's, uh, that's a good sign for them too. So I've seen some experts recently. I shared it with Telegram. Uh, guys that are watching on other platforms where I hang out most of the day is on the Telegram channel with my guys over there, we have some good back and forth. We post about everything from uh, geopolitics to Bitcoin and macro, everything, demography, all that. So check out the Telegram, t.me forward slash Bitcoin and markets. But okay, so I saw some experts saying that black they think BlackRock is about 50-50 because I'm not an ETF expert. Okay, I'm not going to pretend to be an ETF expert. I, I would consider myself a Bitcoin expert. But this ETF thing, you know, I have been fooled in the past. I really did think that the Winklevoss twins, you know, I put it at very likely that the Winklevoss twins would actually get approved way back in 2016, I think it was. Um, Of course, I was wrong about that. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I think this is definitely the best chance that they've had to get this approved. But even the experts that are in there are saying 50-50. But by August, so if there's a delay, because the way the ETF, the way this works is the SEC has, uh, they haven't even like really processed the filing yet from my understanding. They have a week or two to process the filing and then assign the date and the date will be 45 days out from the day that they have processed it. Okay. So they have 45 days now they can at that time delay, deny, or approve. And I think it goes out to 45 days. And I think the third one might be like 90 days. And then the fourth delay is 60 days and that's it. That's all they can delay. It comes out to be like 240 days that they can delay, but. What these this these experts are saying, and they're mostly experts from like Bloomberg, the ETF guys over there on at Bloomberg. They're saying that if it doesn't get approved in that first 45-day chunk, it probably will, will not be approved. So they're giving it a 50-50 chance of being approved by August. That timing is extremely interesting because I've been talking about end of Q3 this year since end of Q3 last year, basically. And for this to come out and then align with getting close, I mean, obviously end of September is the end of Q3, but August is getting close, you know? And if this could be approved and really shoot that price up into the end of Q3, then whatever type of problems we have around the end of Q3 might put a halt on the Bitcoin rally. You know, that's the kind of Uh, timing that I'm looking at for this but it's very interesting that it's August so anyway then the plot also thickened this last week I talked about this on Friday the SEC approved a 2x leveraged Bitcoin futures ETF so the SEC has bypassed a spot or physical ETF but approves an ETF that's based on a derivative of a derivative so it's not just a Bitcoin futures ETF it's a 2x levered Bitcoin futures ETF, but they still don't have a spot ETF. That just seems so backwards to me. So the leveraged ETF development is logically out of order and makes very little sense, unless it is a formality to approve leveraged versions of ETFs. There again, I'm not an expert. So once you have the futures ETF, I wonder if it's almost like a rubber stamp to get the leveraged ETF as well if that is the case it makes more sense but still what's hold, what's the hold there is no like logical hold up for a spot like if the if the rationale is that there it's there's too much wash trading there's too much manipulation of the price well that's going to affect the futures exchange too right so what is what i don't understand the the hold up here and it just seems very backwards, especially this 2x leverage uh, product really just highlights this kind of out of order that they're doing. So anyway, OK, I think you have to put the BlackRock filing in the context of Bitcoin not going away after 2022 Bitcoin. Oh, sorry. After even after 2022 Bitcoin was rallying its perceived competition or substitutes are being wiped out. Multiple other jurisdictions have ETF products, which I didn't include a link to that. But um, HSBC has just approved Bitcoin ETF, but it's based off of U.S. Bitcoin futures. So that's a, a whole nother thing. But Canada has a spot ETF. I think one of the Scandinavian countries has a spot ETF as well. So there are other jurisdictions that have these exact products. Hold on. I had to yell at my dog just a second. All right. Sorry about that. My daughter is just sitting there not doing anything, letting the dog bark. Okay. I think you have to put the Bitcoin. I I said that. So miners are are traded publicly, which is a new thing too. I mean, the whole Bitcoin ecosystem is not going away. So there will eventually be. A US ETF. And that has to be an issue. You have to deal with that issue. So now you have this context where Bitcoin is not going away. It's rallying. It's the ecosystems being built out. It's getting much more professional. There's just more to it. There's more beef, right? And you, they, they have to address this issue. Who else, but BlackRock, can force this issue. I, I just think that this is so pivotal that it's BlackRock of all people that, it, that it's going to have to be denied in this whole context. It's crazy. Okay, I'll add one more thing to the analysis. Yes, price jumped 15% last week, but that was not outside of normal Bitcoin volatility. I am not convinced that insiders know if this will be approved. If they did, 15% would be small potatoes or small peanuts. So, yeah, it shouldn't have just pumped 15%. It should have pumped 50% if it was a done deal, right? So, I don't think it's a done deal. There is some uncertainty here, but all this being said, it's just, it's almost like the story could not be written any better for an approval, you know? If this doesn't get approved, we might never see a Bitcoin spot ETF, at least for the next five, 10 years. So, anyway, um, I really hate trying to guess what the SEC would do because they let me down so many times in the past. I'm sticking with my original 90% likelihood. That's what I think. I think it's 90% that it will be approved. Okay, let's move on from the BlackRock stuff. Uh, lots of headlines about CBDCs and globalist coping so i linked to a bunch of stories here i covered some of them last week imf capitulates on bitcoin bans says they're not effective ecb official labels crypto as deleterious with no societal benefits in scathing speech and i would love to read through that speech on another episode like i was telling telegram before this uh, but you know no time to do that on this episode BIS annual economic report came out about their unified ledger. And I did go through some of those uh, on another show and Deutsche bank applies for digital asset custody lines uh, license in Germany. So lots of stuff happening, but what I point out here is the messaging is odd to me a little bit, you know, it doesn't quite fit together. The powers that be don't seem to have a clear strategy On Bitcoin anymore, BlackRock, Bitcoin ETF, Powell. um, Well, let me just read through this. In a story from April, IMF Managing Director Kristalina said retail CBDCs would radically change the global financial system in ways they don't understand. A pretty big admission The IMF is sounding even more friendly, saying that bans are not effective. Powell said the same thing this week, that retail CBDCs are out of the question. Nigeria's CBDC experiment has utterly failed at this point. Everything is pointing away from CBDCs as a failed globalist fantasy, but somehow the BIS didn't get the memo. And there's still a few people out there from the ECB as well. I should have added that. Um, So this is a fragmented message here. I think there's a lot of different stakeholders going a lot of different directions on this the nigeria failure i th- really put a wrench in their cbdc fantasy i think it did and i think we might even start you know the cbdc thing will go out of the headlines i think it's almost over and once you don't have a cbdc to talk about you know then that brings these people back to bitcoin I mean, they have to address Bitcoin. They have to talk about Bitcoin. If a CBDC isn't going to work, they ha- they are forced then to start discussing Bitcoin in the relation of a CBDC, but as a non-central bank digital currency, right? It's very, very good for the messaging of Bitcoin, very bad for the messaging of charterless, MMT, statist, you know, it kind of, shifts the whole narrative. All right, let's get into the next story here. HSBC rolls out cryptocurrency services in Hong Kong report. Again, cryptocurrency, it's kind of a made-up term, guys. It's Bitcoin and crypto, not cryptocurrency. So uh, HSBC, the largest bank in Hong Kong, today allows its customers to buy and sell Bitcoin and Ethereum ETFs listed on Hong Kong exchange and is also the first bank in Hong Kong to allow it. The move will expand local users' exposure to cryptocurrencies in Hong Kong. And like I said there a second ago, these are futures-based ETFs, so it won't affect spot demand directly. However, this is an interesting sign that there is competition brewing for Bitcoin-related products. Okay, another story. I did also post this in Telegram. So these are the type of stories that I post in there. You guys really should get in there and participate. It's, it's a Uh, growing community and I mean, there's a lot of hot takes. So, okay. uh, Tether documents reveal Coinbase's fruitless two-year pursuit. So what did, so little background on this, that there's all these Tether haters out there and they wanted to, to show that Tether was insolvent for years. And I think there was a little bit of USDC and circle behind that, maybe some in collusion with uh, with the New York DFS Department of Financial Services. there was they really wanted to show that Tether wasn't solvent. But now they have the documents after two years of doing this and it's been more than that that they've been fudded on around the industry. But uh, here we go. So what did the documents reveal? Simply put, Tether was accurate about their holdings. The file showed that Tether had held billions of dollars in commercial paper issued by various inter- international financial institutions and maintained funds in numerous banks worldwide. It also detailed the company's know-your-customer protocols and other regulatory compliance procedures. Now, this is interesting. Numerous banks worldwide. That was one of my th- reasons for saying that Tether didn't want to share this information in the first place because they could uh, – the You know, New York Department of Financial Services or even um, other government agencies for the federal government could apply pressure to these banks to drop Tether, right? And so they could chase Tether down, chase them out by simply applying pressure. So they wanted to keep it secret. That's one reason why they couldn't get a full audit. But okay, um, many expected dramatic revelations, financial impropriety or at least some undisclosed issues. Instead, the documents validated Tether's longstanding claims of being fully backed by reserves. So Tether haters are wrecked, and there's another one we were right about. Okay, macro headlines. European business activity slows in June as higher interest rates begin to bite. Europe is clearly in recession, Uh, Sorry, Europe is already in recession from Q4 and Q1, Q4 last year, Q1 of this year, and things keep getting worse. It is not likely that they will be able to get out of this economic decline with the current anti-human policies they have strangling their economies. And I'm talking about energy. I'm talking about sanctions. I'm talking about uh, globalist policies, um, socialist policies, you know all that kind of stuff, they are not going to be able to get out of their economic decline. They're going to continue. It's going to continue getting worse and worse. Maybe they will return to a normal of zero growth, but the trend is clear. You know, think about after the great financial crisis that Europe had the the sovereign debt crisis or whatever, the European debt crisis, and that lasted for years. And they had austerity in the pigs. And imagine all of Europe on austerity. So the U.S. had its great financial crisis. It came out. It was growing at two, 2% a year or so. But Europe suffered much longer. They suffered a longer decline since the great financial crisis. And in this period, they're going to suffer much worse, a much longer decline. The United States in this crisis, too. So, the post GFC normal, which I've been talking about for a long time of low growth and low inflation for the US, it's you know around 2%, um, with some financial plumbing issues and things like that. But for Europe, the post GFC normal is like sovereign debt crisis that's the post GFC normal for them. So, that's what they're returning to. And, um, you know, this is what we're seeing right now things are getting worse and worse over there in Europe. Okay, what about China? So China's economy is also faltering. The CCP is already going to major lengths to prop up their failing economy. We don't know the true state of the Chinese economy, but these types of things are tried once you are in deep recession. So I take uh, some quotes out of this article. Uh, This was a Zero Hedge article. And it says, uh, it's basically advising banks to help firms repair their credit, ignore firms, missed payments, and so on. The fact that they're putting out that type of advice to financial institutions as a regulator speaks to the depth of the problem related to debt. And they are horribly indebted. I mean, the U.S., you know, they talk about the debt ceiling, they talk about the debt to GDP and and all this stuff. China is way worse, probably twice as bad. And they are a low-income country. So they have much worse problems with debt. And right here, the regulators telling them to ignore firms that are missing payments. I mean, that that's shows you, like, just like I said, that speaks to the depth of the problem here. I think there's a lot of possibilities or a, a lot of hope for China, but it would absolutely require dismantling policies in China that are not going to be dismantled. So it's very similar to Europe, you know, for Europe to get back to a path of growth, they would have to get rid of all of their, uh, environmentalist policies. They had to get rid of a bunch of stuff, but that is, that's, what's absolutely required. China has similar things. I mean, it's mainly more communist in flavor, but they have to get rid of those. That's absolutely required, but it won't be, <laughs> it says they're not going to be dismantled. So what does that mean? Um, Means there is no possibility and there is no hope. So let me read this one more time. I think there's a lot of possibilities or a lot of hope for China, but it would absolutely require dismantling policies in China that are not going to be dismantled. So there's no possibility, there's no hope in China. Okay, continuing. All the sensible infrastructure has already been built in China. We're at a point where all the major ports, the cities, everything is connected. And I would say constructed. So when they build more infrastructure now, it's really just making work. And that's one thing I've said for a long time. They are overbuilt, you know. So what if you build a third airport within 50 miles? It's just a waste of money. It's just making work. It's misallocation of resources to a obscene degree, you know. In the past, at least when you did those centrally planned type of infrastructure projects, they were highly productive. You know, Like I always talk about, the first kind of uses of debt are usually productive. And if you're in a very poor country, you have a lot of room to go into debt and that debt will be productive. But the problem with a debt-based currency is you need to keep adding more and more debt. It's an exponential problem. So yes, you added debt very rapidly, you grew very rapidly but you must continue to add debt at the same amount of speed or greater just to tread water. And you're, you've now saturated all of your productive investments. So it says the sensible infrastructure has already been built. So now they're left to juice their credit, to keep their credit market. That's twice as bad as the U S think about that. The U S debt to GDP, it's twice as bad in China. The only way they can service it or they can keep the bubble going is by doing worthless, gigantic, worthless infrastructure projects. It's not going to stay together. Okay, Uh, you're just creating jobs, paying for it out of the public revenues, and it's not necessarily yielding any sort of significant GDP advantage. And this is another I told you so exactly what they're starting to see over there. The CCP is ignoring debt problems outright while building negative economic value projects. All right, another story here out of China as well is about some commentators. This is a Reuters story, but um, there's some commentators that are starting to call this obvious connection or comparison between Japan and China. Japan 1990, and China today. And I've been making this comparison for years, probably four or five years. So um, I said it years ago that the Chinese miracle is just like the Japanese miracle. It's built off massive amounts of debt to become a major exporter. The big difference between them is that Japan became wealthy before the crash. China is still a poor country. They're poor and communist. So, yeah, it's financially it's the same, but politically and I would say as an economic model, it's it's different because Japan got wealthy. China never got wealthy. They were starting to, but they didn't quite make it. And their demographics are even worse than Japan's. But uh, there's so many mirror you know, exact, pretty much perfect comparisons between Japan in 1990 and China today. All right, so this is a quote from this Reuters article. The double whammy of depressed consumption and investment is raising fears of long-term stagnation, similar to Japan's lost decade in the 1990s, following a real estate crash when annual economic growth averaged just 1%. Beijing has tighter administrative controls and it can probably avoid a sudden property price correction or messy bursting of debt bubbles. Yet without action, China risks slowly slipping into the same outcome. And I think it's worse because China is a authoritarian communist regime. I think you, you should... Mix Japan with North Korea, and that is what China is going to morph into. That's not a large, powerful player on the the global seat, and that's if the CCP survives. Okay, that is all for the headlines and news from Bitcoin and macro that I thought I should keep you guys up to date on. Let's get into the price analysis. So the daily chart, I'm not going to post it in Telegram because you guys can look at it on the report But uh, pretty much what I point out here on the first chart is the 50-day and the 250-day, or sorry, the the 50-day and the 128-day. And let me pull this up on here and share this tab. And what I'm going to do is actually take the price away so that you can see this relationship a little bit better and zoom bingo. <laughs> so where the 50 day is over the 128 day, I'm going to post these as I go into Telegram, actually, because you guys deserve to see this as well, if you're listening there. Um, but you can see right here at the end on the far right, it's not going to cross. I mean, it, unless we dip down back down to like 26,000, it's not going to cross. So let's take a look and see if there's any other examples of this. So I found this one was pretty close in October of 2020. That's pretty close. Again, also in July of 2020, but it was closer in October. Okay. And what happened after that? Boom rally big big rally up here that was the post-covid rally that we had in 2020 and actually let me continue going here i'll find some other ones some of this stuff off and i'll try to fit this all onto one chart and then share it with telegram the other one i found that was pretty similar okay can I get that? Yeah, there we go. Is this one all the way on the far right of your screen. And that is, or sorry, far left. And that is April of 2016. It didn't quite cross the 50. Didn't quite cross the 128. It did over here after the halving, but you know, this is the one I was comparing to and it went up. So anyway, I'm going to now post this into telegram for my dudes. Anyway, these are the two that I found comparable. Comparable in the sense that the 50-day didn't quite hit the 128 before it went back, you know, back up. And to zoom in on this, you can see that's what's happening here. And that 50-day and that 128-day will not cross unless we come back down. I mean, maybe 27,000. It will cross, but um, yeah. So let's get back to the report. So I think that's a pretty big deal. And uh, successfully defending that is important because it's happened before the last two big bull markets, right at the beginning of the last two big bull markets. All right, so the setup here is for a major rally, regardless of blackrock here is another image and this one is btc balance on exchanges and you can see we're almost at record loves uh back here in late would that be i don't know exactly where the crossover is i think that's right at the end of last year 2022 the balance on exchanges was less but look what happened that was the start of the rally so we're back down at those levels. So what does that mean? Well, that I mean, that's liquidity. Price movements will be violent. So if there's not a lot of liquidity out there, any amount of market buying pressure or selling pressure is going to move the price a lot. So I think, though, that the bias is to the upside in this situation. So there's going to be violent movements, Very volatile movements because there's low liquidity. And then the bias is to the upside because any dips will be aggressively bought by stackers. I know myself, every time we had a significant pullback in the last, in this calendar year, I have been stacking way more than normal. So that is, I think, a huge part of this. Any dip will be aggressively bought, maybe not by even by stackers, but what about by. Institutions that are trying to get the best price right now. You know, maybe they're DCAing in um, and on big dips, they're going to buy too. Or big corporations that are adding Bitcoin to their treasuries. You know, MicroStrategy is constantly buying. We have Tether now constantly buying. And on dips, they might continue, they might pump up their aggressive stacking. So we don't have OTC numbers, but. If the Bitcoin on exchanges is any sense of what that is like, you know we can expect the supply on OTC markets. These would be brokers, OTC brokers that sell over the counter to people. They don't, you know, like big entities that want to source 10,000 Bitcoins. They're not going to go on the exchange and buy 10,000 Bitcoins, most likely. I mean, some of them might. Famously, I think Saylor said that he went on the exchanges and bought a lot of that Bitcoin. But I think most of them would source it OTC. And then the OTC broker might go on the exchange and buy it. But, you know, or if they have, if they can match buyers and sellers, large sellers and large buyers, they'll do that right over the counter. But we can expect that their supply is also low if the supply on the exchanges is low. So anyway, then I say money is made in the volatility. And it's going to be harder to push the price down than up. Like I've said for the last couple months, we might see wicks to the downside, but they will get bought up. It's harder to push price down and keep it down. It's much easier to push price up. So if you make money on volatility, you don't really care whether it goes up or down. You just want to be on the right side. Well, if it's easier to push it one direction, people are going to load up on that side and market makers are going to load up on that side and push it in that direction. That's easier to go. And right now I think it's way easier to go up than down. So therefore I think the likelihood is for continuation this next week higher. Okay. Guys sign up for my market pro. There's a lot of analysis like this on my market pro. I go deep into the charts. I go deep into different indicators and things as well as uh, narrative building. Like I was just doing there. So okay, check that out. Market Pro. Uh, that's the professional tier on Bitcoin markets.com. All right, mining headlines. Mining headlines. Uh, this was a funny story. So there's a Brooklyn bathhouse. I don't know if the name of it is Bathhouse, but it's a Brooklyn bathhouse, and it's kind of reminded me in the pictures of John Wick. you know where the Russians were that one son, that he was also the character on Game of Thrones. Now I can't remember the character on Game of Thrones name. But anyway, it was the son of the Russian guy on John Wick. And he was in that bathhouse, right? That's exactly what this place looks like. It's pretty cool. Maybe it's the same one from the movie. I don't know. Um, But they have a story here about being heated by Bitcoin mining equipment. So they say, step one, mine Bitcoin. Mining uses electricity for computing power and generates heat as a byproduct. Step two. Send the heat generated by the miners to heat exchangers and heat our pools. Step three, enjoy hot pool. <laughs> enjoy hot pool while supporting the Bitcoin network. The, pool, uh, the pools absorb the heat and circulate cool liquids back to the miners. I mean, I think this is brilliant. But, well, one thing I want to say, too, about this is, uh, this is like externality. It's like a positive externality, but these will not last. These will not last. It will turn out to cost the exact same as doing it separately. Because a positive externality will be priced out. And uh, I, I don't know if I should get into exactly how that works here, but uh, in the long run, I mean, yeah, temporarily, maybe for the next year, a couple of years or something, depending on what kind of mining equipment you have and like all that, you might be able to squeeze out some benefit. Like you're, they're probably making money on this whole thing, this whole scheme that they're doing here. And that's fine. But eventually that will be priced out. You know, the positive externalities will be sucked up by the market and this will be equally as expensive as heating them separately and mining separately. So um, i just leave it there. So anyway, I say that this story probably was only big in our little corner of the internet. There were a few MPC responses like, this makes me like bathhouse less. <laughs> uh, but the co-founder, Jason Goodman, he has a great response. Okay. So he said, in, "Like he breaks it down for the NPCs trying to point out why this is so so beneficial so instead of using electricity for an electric pool heater we use electricity to run the miners the net result is that we are essentially energy neutral because we are powering the miners with the energy we already needed to purchase to heat our pools therefore we are able to use this electricity twice in a certain sense We are able to recover a lot of our energy costs while supporting the Bitcoin network and nerding out on a fun engineering project. So I thought that was a great response. Next Bitcoin mining story here is Bitcoin miners went dark as Texas power grid teeters on brink. Bitcoin miners in Texas curbed operations, crimping power usage as a heat wave drove electricity prices sky high Tuesday. And threatened to cripple the grid in the second largest U.S. state. So this happened all the, last, all the way last Tuesday. Quote, prices were elevated and the nature of the incentive programs available to all ERCOT citizens. So this is all Texas. This is uh, something of Texas. Uh, so all the Texas citizens can do this if they want to and get the incentive program, not just Bitcoin miners. Uh, resulted in most or all large flexible loads being off. So not just Bitcoin, but probably some factories took part in this as well because they have this incentive program. Um, Texas was perilously close to a power crisis Tuesday evening as demand spiked and available supplies dipped as solar output fell with the setting sun. At one point, spare electricity Supplies shrank to just 2% of overall capacity. I love that they put this in there that it was because the solar output being intermittent that caused this crisis. It's a very important line. Okay. Quote It appears most Bitcoin sites appeared to have dropped virtually all their load. Oh, God. Oh, what a funny statement. But yes, that is a great work by the Texas miners, showing that Bitcoin is super, super beneficial to all power grids, especially if they want to use this crazy, crazy intermittent power source. You have to have something to balance the power. And Bitcoin, yes, it says that everyone can take part. And I said, maybe some factories did this as well. But Bitcoin is the most uh flexible for this type of work and yeah I think it's great next mining story clean spark acquires two Bitcoin mining facilities for 9.3 million and let's see did I have this story up yeah let's just take a look at this one so from coin journal clean spark will complete the 9.3 million dollar all cash deal for two turnkey Bitcoin mining facilities this week the facilities in Dayton, Georgia will host 6,000 ant miners. Okay, CleanSpark CEO Zach Bradford says, oh, what did I click? Sorry about that. CleanSpark CEO Zach Bradford says the deals put the miners on track to reach its year-end hash rate goal of 16x exahash. hash. All right, so pretty cool. What do I say about this? Back to the report. I found the story interesting because they bought these two existing mining facilities in Georgia for a medium sum. So these were already existing mining facilities where they could put, it sounded about 3,000 rigs each. So they're not small, but they're not huge. And it's a medium amount of money, $9 million. I mean, it sounds like a lot to most people, but this is a tiny amount investment for these big companies now. I saw multiple other announcements talking about double-digit, even triple-digit investments by Bitcoin mining companies. So this $9 million investment is a relatively medium sum for them, or small sum even. Um, Each facility appears to host about 3,000 machines, as many more of these medium-sized facilities get set up all over the world Mining companies could trade them to get more jurisdictional arbitrage, power source diversification, etc. So yeah, it's it's um I think it's kind of interesting to think not just that the mining equipment can be commodified, right? Like an S9 or S19 or whatever they're using, that the mod the the equipment has been talked about as being commodified, but the facilities as well. So these are relatively small facilities, they're medium sized I would say. And um the facility themselves can be commodified. I think that's truly interesting because let's say you are uh starting up a bitcoin company and you have a lot of stuff in Texas but you want to diversify a little bit. So you're going to buy these off, you know, these turnkey bitcoin mining commodified facilities in other jurisdictions to To hedge your risk. And you could do that internationally as well. Like think about different things set up in Kazakhstan, different things set up uh, in South America, you know, with volcano mining or whatever, hydro in, Ch- in Chile. You could set up these different um, mining centers and they would be a commodity themselves. And you could just swap out the ownership and ev- different companies would have different strategies like some might not want to do that some might want to be more less geographically distributed some might want to be more geographically distributed some might have a like let's say you are a uh brazilian miner and you have certain regulations that you have to follow with your public miner so you're publicly traded and you have certain regulations that you had to follow within your country uh, differently than other Bitcoin miners say that if you're a public company in the US or a public company in Europe or something, you might have different types of rules that you have to follow. And these facilities could be commodified and, and traded. Anyway, I thought this was kind of interesting. Got my gears going. You can tell obviously um, that it did that. So I thought it was a cool story. Let's take a look at the hash rate and difficulty. So hash rate has dipped this week with the Texas miners coming offline. And let me pull up this chart. You can see this is from SEPA. And this week we saw a dip in the hash rate. And we have difficulty coming up tomorrow. It's probably going to be a decline. But a lot of this was from, um, possibly from the disruption there in Texas. Not all of it, but I was probably... Probably most of it, because with the price going up, there there shouldn't be a reason for the hash rate to come down other than things like Texas. So um, I say price up, hash rate down cannot last long. However, we have to be watching this as a proxy for hard to see market fundamentals. If hash rate continues to drop as price rises, there will likely be a sizable correction to price coming. So yeah, that's just talking about my deep fundamentals, how I interpret mining. All right, mempool, mempool was up a little bit, and if you take a real close look at the far right, you can see just today the mempool spiked back up. It has not affected fees all that much at the, you know, as of right now, it hasn't affected the fees all that much, but we'll see what happens. Uh, it did look like it was coming down, right? Uh, the network was handling everything just fine. And then just in the last, I would say 12 hours, we had a big spike in the mempool back up, <clears throat> back up above 200 megabytes, but the fees remained low. All right. Lightning network. Um, oh, I don't think I meant to make this a bullet point, <laughs> but not a lot of news in the layer two space this week. But I did find this post by Bitfinex giving a good intro to RGB. RGB is a color coin system that works on Bitcoin, Mainnet, and Lightning Network. And then how can RGB improve Bitcoin? That is the story or blog post out of Bitfinex. Um, RGB, so color coins is like a very old idea in, in Bitcoin. And... That's where MasterCoin started. MasterCoin was supposed to be like a color coin type implementation. And then you had Omni. It kind of morphed into Omni. And Omni is where Tether had a home for a long time. Uh, but this was also like pre vitalic And then when Vitalik came in, he was all obsessed with color coins and MasterCoin. And then he decided to start his own thing. So that's why he started Ethereum, but color coins were definitely on Bitcoin first. They were these like NFTs basically on Bitcoin or they didn't have to necessarily be NFTs. They could also be complete uh, just new tokens. Um, So you could do a whole issue of all coins as color coins uh, if you wanted to. But anyway, the whole idea started on Bitcoin and it didn't work in the economics of it and so it never really got going and that's why they had went over and did all these altcoins because they could kind of go away from bitcoiners and spin their false claims in a whole different space kind of separated from bitcoiners but it's it's been as economically invalid as the very first days of color coins. But anyway, so RGB is an interesting protocol. It's it's fun. It's also destroying the altcoin narrative that you can't do this on Bitcoin, that Bitcoin is old tech. I mean, the thing about this is for people that are still listening to this, if you are new to Bitcoin, uh, RGB is, um, and I totally lost my train of thought there, where 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 was i i'm personally not a fan of color coins and rgb or rgb anyway so this is interesting i try to keep up to date on layer 2s oh that was it okay i try to keep up to date with layer 2s and what people don't understand when they come into bitcoin or to come into this space and they think they see bitcoin as old tech and they see all coins as like new tech and they're also uh, spun those lies by the scammers as well but see bitcoin is Bitcoin did one thing and changed the world. And that was to create digital scarcity and distributed consensus to protect that digital scarcity. And so that is uh, the special thing about Bitcoin. You can build on top of it, though, just like this RGB. you You could have done NFTs on Bitcoin the whole time. You could have done all these altcoin narratives on Bitcoin the whole time. You can do lightning network, you can have side chains, you can have this arc. There is the high-tech stuff is happening on Bitcoin, but it's layer two. And the difference between layer two Bitcoin and layer one scam over here, any other scam in the space, is that you don't print money. You're using the same monetary unit. And that is not able to work for altcoins they have all this stuff also all this kind of pseudo academic work on like tokenomics and cryptonomics where print they they give an excuse to printing tokens by saying that they're messing with the incentives you know they 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 found a way to hack the incentives of the free market to make those those incentives work for you so that you can make things that are uneconomic and stupid everywhere else be economic and not stupid. But of course that's that's wrong. Um, it's just an excuse to print money. That's what all of these things are. So yeah, um, for the newbies that are still listening, uh, I try to keep up to date on layer two. I'll probably make this stuff a layer two section instead of just lightning network, but I thought this was an interesting story. Okay, that is it for today, guys. Check out bitcoinandmarkets.com. Thank you so much for joining me. Check out the Telegram, t.me4 slash bitcoinandmarkets. I am live streaming on YouTube and Rumble and everything. So, guys, like, share, subscribe. Make sure you comment down below. Tell me uh, what story was your favorite for, for the week and if you would have included anything different on this and feedback. Feedback is always welcome for my shows, so I appreciate everybody that watches and supports, and I'll see you on the next one. Bye.